Um, I'll be reading from Genesis 41, 41 to 57 from the New Living Translation. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, Kneel down! So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh, but no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. Then Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name, zaphnath Paneah. He also gave him a wife whose name was Asenath. She was a daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. So Joseph took charge of the entire land of Egypt. He was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he inspected the entire land of Egypt. As predicted, for seven years, the land produced bumper crops. During those years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields in the cities. He piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashore. Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. During this time, before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife, Anaseth, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. At last, the seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end. Then the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted. The famine also struck all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt there was plenty of food. Eventually, however, the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well. And when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, Go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. So with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed the grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. And the people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the word, the world. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Teresa. It's always uh, fun when there's some really difficult names in uh, the scripture reading, and you did very, very well. You know, with respect to scripture reading, um, one of the things, if you've paid attention at TCC for a while, we have different people come and read scripture. We think it's important, the public reading of scripture. And the scripture reader always ends, because we instruct them to end that way, with the word of the Lord. Some of you might come from traditions where you know what the appropriate response is, right? Does anybody know what the response to that, the word of the Lord? Thanks be to God. And I know I've spoken with some of you, and you said, well, why don't we say thanks be to God? And I'm like, ah, to train all these people, they're different every Sunday, to say the same thing, and then, you know, we say that, and then that new guy comes in and goes, oh, I missed that, was I supposed to say that? But you know what? Feel free to say thanks be to God. Under your breath, in your own heart, out loud, shout it out. Thanks be to God, because we want to give God thanks for his word. 
because his word is life and his word is brings uh, direction and, and focus in our lives. And so during the summer months as we've been studying the, the life of Joseph, uh, things are a little bit different. We have uh, some of the grade fives and sixes in the, in, uh, in the service with us as well. Typically they also are dismissed and they go upstairs. And uh, there's a word search that's available for them that is based on the scripture that, that was just read. And I've been getting reports that for some parents this has actually been a huge distraction. That because the kids are looking at the words and they're like, where is it? And so then the parent ends up doing the word search and, uh, you know, they're like, okay, just leave me alone. And then you're like, oh, where is that word actually? And you're like trying to pay attention and all those kind of things. So, so let the kids do the word search and parents uh, stay focused on, on the word uh, this morning. I saw somebody that I was looking for earlier that uh, I told you about last week, if you were here. We um, can congratulate Mr. and Mrs. Kwashi Sam. They're sitting right over. Why don't you guys stand for a second? They were married just last a week ago, Saturday. And, and for those of you who missed it, they met right here at TCC stacking chairs after the service. And so as they were stacking chairs, like I don't know if, you know, Angie already had an eye for Gilbert and kind of went over and said, hey, would you like to stay for brunch? She did invite him to stay for brunch. They talked, and I think it was within a week you guys had your first date. So if you're single, just stick around, stack some chairs. Well, for the past six weeks, we've been studying the life of Joseph, looking at his story as found in Genesis 37 and following, and we've been repeatedly discovering that he was found faithful in every life circumstance. Even when his life took unexpected journeys, he showed remarkable character, especially in light of the painful experiences he has endured. So those of you who've been tracking with us, maybe this is just a, a good reminder that um, uh, of all of what uh, Joseph has already been through. We first of all discovered that he was abandoned. He was rejected by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit while they figured out what to do with him. He was enslaved. He was sold by his brothers for 20 shekels of silver and then sold again in Egypt by the slave traders that had picked him up in Israel and now took him to Egypt. He was sold to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials. He was betrayed, falsely accused of sexual assault by Potiphar's wife. He was imprisoned and this false accusation then led to him actually being thrown in prison. And while he was in prison... He was forgotten because there he had the opportunity to interpret the dreams of two other prisoners, the baker and the cupbearer. And that didn't turn out so well for the baker, you may remember, but the cupbearer was restored to his position. And the problem was that the cupbearer forgot about Joseph and Joseph then spent two more years languishing in prison. And last week, Pastor Adam helped us to see how Joseph remained faithful and worked good even while he was in prison. Ultimately, this resulted in an opportunity for Joseph to interpret Pharaoh's dreams and 
Suddenly, many wrongs were made right. Thirteen years have passed since he was first thrown into the pit. Thirteen years. Try to wrap your mind around that. Vince Hamilton writes about this. He says, Between his being sold and his being promoted, thirteen years have elapsed. Thirteen years of nightmare, hardship, setback, and frustration. Thirteen years. This morning, in the passage that Teresa read for us, we now come to a major turning point in Joseph's life. His promotion. And in this one day, his whole world is turned right side up. One day, this Hebrew slave serving an open-ended prison sentence. And the next day, he is literally put in charge of all of Egypt. This is what Pharaoh said to Joseph back in verse 39 and 40. It says this, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Wow. Really, I mean, talk about a dramatic change of scenery. From the pit, to the prison, to the pinnacle. He is promoted to second in command. Second only to Pharaoh himself. He had all sorts of power now at his disposal. And Pharaoh says to Joseph in verse 41, he says, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. That was his commission. That was his mission. That was the task that God had called him to. Let those words settle for a minute. I put you in charge. From the guy who was in the pit to the guy who now is second in command and in charge. So let's look at these verses in a little more detail. And we're going to discover a couple of things. We're going to discover how Joseph was rewarded. We're going to discover how Joseph uh, demonstrated his faithfulness. And then what we ourselves can learn about faithfulness on mission. First of all, Joseph's rewards. You see, I think it's helpful for us to take some time to really think about this dramatic turn of events. Because for most of the past six weeks, our studies have reflected on how badly things have gone for Joseph. We think of this young teenager, 17 years old, hated by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold by slave traders, shipped off to a foreign land, falsely accused, thrown into prison, and forgotten there. And now he received the rewards of his faithfulness. These blessings come without him pursuing them, without him seeking them, without him even making them a a focus in his life. We all love a a good rags-to-riches story. And that's what's happened in Joseph's life right now. What are these blessings? Number one, he was given authority. Authority. We already know that Joseph was put in charge. And to symbolize that authority, Pharaoh, it says, removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. It was the signet ring. Pharaoh didn't get another ring made. He gave Joseph his ring. He took his ring off his hand, put it on on Joseph's hand. And this ring was the symbol of Pharaoh's authority. 
The Hebrew word translated signet ring literally means to sink. And it was used to sink into clay or to wax. It would be like a stamp, a presidential seal. It would be used to to seal letters, stamp invoices, sign laws into effect. And with it, Joseph was given the authority to do just about anything. Financially, it would have been like the American Express platinum card of the day. He had it made because he now had the signet ring. And with that authority and power comes the temptation perhaps to abuse it. As you think about it, suddenly he's in this position of power. He could have used it, could have used his authority to settle some scores. I wonder if it entered his mind. Maybe he should give Mrs. Potiphar a taste of her own medicine. Maybe he finds the cupbearer and reminds him of that time that he forgot. But Joseph doesn't do anything like that. You see, he may have had authority, but he also knew that there was still one higher in authority than him. And in verse 44, Pharaoh says to Joseph very clearly, he says, I am Pharaoh. In other words, make no mistake about it. I may have given you my ring and promoted you to second in command, but I am still king here. Just remember that, Joseph. But Joseph was given authority, which he never had, which he never sought after, but he was rewarded with it. Secondly, he was given clothing. And I suspect these were no ordinary clothes. These were fitting for his new position. These were royal robes, fine linen clothing. And then he was given a a gold chain around his neck. From prison suits to a new Armani suit. From shackles to a new gold chain. I wonder if these new clothes brought back memories from the time his father gave him that multicolored robe. In any event, he's now dressed to the nines. He's given a chariot. He got new wheels. We see from verse 43 that Pharaoh said this. He had Joseph ride in the chariot that was reserved for his second in command. And whenever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. Uh, The NIV, if you're following along, actually has the phrase, make way. And I like that, right? Like they're going ahead. They're just this, this escort that he has. And they're just like, make way, make way. Joseph's coming, make way. Get out of the way. And I suspect this was not your average kind of budget chariot. This chariot was specifically designed and set aside, it says, for the second in command. And he had this escort move on ahead of him and prepare the people on the road. Bow down. Kneel down. Joseph is coming through. So he's got authority. He's got new clothes. He's given a chariot. All of these things that come with this promotion that he just received. And he's given an Egyptian name. His name is changed to Saphonith Panea. He was a, it was a name of respect and honor. And it meant the revealer of secrets. The revealer of secrets. Or God speaks and lives. And so while it was an Egyptian name, it really paid tribute to Joseph's faith in God. It was a, it was a sign of respect and honor, as I said. And many biblical characters got new names when something significant happened in their lives. Jacob was changed to Israel and Abram to Abraham, Daniel, and now here Joseph. He's given a new name. He's also given a wife. 
This demonstrates, in essence, the affection that Pharaoh felt towards Joseph, and Pharaoh then gives him a wife. And it's stated quite matter-of-factly there. We don't know much else about it, but we, we see that Joseph is being assimilated into the Egyptian culture. In a, into the Egyptian culture. And lastly, he's blessed with two sons. First the wife, then the children. And what really is important to note here is the names that Joseph gave his sons. The firstborn is named Manasseh, which means God made me forget. Think about that. By naming his son Manasseh, Joseph was saying that God made him forget all of his troubles and pain. Can you just picture it? Asenath, his wife, gives birth to a baby boy. Joseph looks into his eyes, and his own eyes, and as his own eyes fill with tears, he thinks, God made me forget. That's what I'm going to call my son, Manasseh. And every time I call him for dinner, Manasseh, Manasseh, I'll remember that God made him for, made me forget all of the pain and trouble and heartache of the last 13 years. And then when his second son was born, he called him Ephraim, which means God made me fruitful. How fruitful? Verse 49, after these seven years of of tremendous harvest that had been predicted. We read that he piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashore. Finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. You see, in the naming of his sons, Joseph reveals his humble and faithful attitude toward God. God has made me forget. God has made me fruitful. It wasn't the rewards that now helped him forget. It wasn't because suddenly he was receiving all these blessings. It wasn't because suddenly life was great. It was because he acknowledged again that it was God who helped him and that it was God who was blessing him. I mean, when you think about him saying, God made me forget, can we really believe that Joseph would forget what actually happened to him? That after what he had experienced, would it even have been possible to forget? No, of course not. The memories would still be there. But God helped him forget the pain of what happened. And only God could do that. You see, when we faithfully walk with God... I can't describe it. I can't explain it. There's no, no formula. There are times where life is extremely difficult. But there's this sense when we look at Joseph and other characters of the Bible that when we remain faithful in every life circumstance, there is a way that God finds to bless us. And it may not always be with material things. It may not be with fine clothes and a new car. But there are blessings that come nonetheless. If we remain faithful, even in the most difficult circumstances. Well, those are some of the rewards and the blessings that Joseph received. Let's look at his faithfulness specifically. What was he faithful to? You see, this is a pretty significant change in Joseph's life, don't you think? 
We have consistently pointed out that Joseph's life was marked by the fact that God was with him. God was with him. But it is also true that Joseph himself was faithful to God. So God was faithful to Joseph in those circumstances, but Joseph himself was faithful to God. And God blessed him. Not immediately and not without pain and not without tears. But God was with Joseph. And Joseph was faithful to God. Let's look at some of the ways that Joseph was faithful to God. First of all, he was faithful to his purpose. To his purpose. Back in verse 36, Joseph is telling Pharaoh what he should do in light of the dream that he had had. And so Joseph says this. He says, all of this food, all of this grain should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. And now that Joseph is put in charge, that is exactly what he sets out to do. And he is given this God-given purpose to help save the Egyptians from starving. And he's faithful to the task. Secondly, he was faithful to work hard. He worked hard. In verse 46, we read that after he left Pharaoh's presence, uh, Pharaoh had given him all of these uh, blessings. And then it says that he left and he went out and he inspected the entire land of Egypt on his chariot. I don't know how long that would have taken, but out he went to check things out for himself, to, to do his own reconnaissance mission, to see what in fact was happening out in the land. He didn't stay up in his corner office on the top floor of the corporate headquarters. No, he got out and checked it out for himself. Joseph was clear that God had called him to this task, and he was willing to work hard to get it done. Thirdly, he was faithful to his plan. You see, during the seven years of bumper crops, verse 48 now, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields in the cities. I mean, it was a brilliant plan, wasn't it? They had seven years to prepare for this famine. They knew what was going to happen. And so for seven years, Joseph collected the grain from around each of the cities and then stored it in those cities so that when the famine come, people wouldn't have that far to go. They would just go into the city and there they would have the food that they needed. Nobody had to travel all across the country. They just went to the nearest city. He had a plan and a strategy and he worked it to perfection. And they ended up with you see it just simply huge amounts of grain too numerous to mention to number like the sand on the seashore you talk about an effective program joseph had this plan worked out and fourthly he was faithful in his leadership of course just as joseph predicted the the seven years of bumper crops ended and the seven years of famine came and in verse 55 And when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. Go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. Why could Pharaoh be so confident that if he sent people to Joseph, that he would give them proper direction? Because he was confident that Joseph would be faithful and was faithful in his leadership. God called him and placed him, and now because of his purpose, his hard work, the plan that he had, and the leadership that he was given, people from all over the world would ultimately be saved. Does this sound like anyone else we know in the Scriptures? 
Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? God called him, placed him. Jesus was faithful to his purpose. He stayed the course. He stuck to the Father's plan. He was faithful to the leadership of his disciples. And when the people cried out for salvation, go to Jesus and do whatever he tells you. Go to Jesus. That's a good place for any of us to start. If we're not in a relationship with Jesus... If there's one thing to take away this morning, it's that. Go to Jesus. The invitation that Jesus extends to everyone is, come to me. Come to me. It's an invitation to follow him and be in relationship with him. Don't you just love Joseph? Don't you love the example that he sets for us? I mean, when we might be tempted to have a a little pity party for our own circumstances, we should find huge encouragement in his life. Because he received blessings from God because he was faithful to the mission that he was given. So just some takeaways in closing this morning. Number one, always put God first. Always seek to put God first. I mean, as followers of Jesus, this should be very obvious. But it isn't always that easy, is it? We're people who are prone to busyness and distraction. Other priorities crowd out the most important one. We get worried and upset about so many things. And I think it's really helpful for us to remind ourselves this morning about the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So what does he say? Then go after those needs, hunt them down, seek them, give all your attention to to meeting your own needs? He says, no. He says, seek the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. See, we never start with our needs. We start with Jesus. We start with God. And as we grow in our relationship with him, all the other things somehow mysteriously end up taking care of themselves. But not, again, don't don't hear that as, if I come to Jesus, then all's going to be well and, and, and I'll never have another struggle or problem in my life. Most of us can identify and say, that has simply not been my experience. That's not true. But when we come to Jesus and we put him first, And we walk in faithfulness with him. We find that he's faithful to us. And just when we need what we need, he provides what we need. It might be a word of encouragement. It might be a note. It might be a text. It could be anything where somebody just comes along and, how did you know? I, I didn't know. I just felt like I was prompted that I should do this or say this or whatever. You see, when we're on mission, we have an opportunity to be that encouragement that other people need. That's what he calls us to do. That we just live as people who are walking humbly with God, right? Micah 6.8. He's shown you to, to act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. It's not complicated. You see, I believe this is exactly how Joseph lived his life. 
And we've seen this now, whether he was in the pit or in the prison or now in the penthouse. He was faithful to God in every circumstance. And he knew and lived the truth of 1 Samuel 2, verse 30, that says, those who honor me, I will honor. That's God's promise. Honor me, and I'll honor you. And Joseph honored God in everything, whether he worked as Potiphar's slave, whether he, how he responded to Mrs. Potiphar's advances. He made the most of a terrible situation in prison. He led faithfully here from the second in command, the second chair. And he always put God first. And as a result, God honored him. Obviously not right away. (laughs) Thirteen years is a long time. But Joseph was faithful throughout those years. He stayed the course. He stuck to his mission. And if there's one character quality that is so important in our lives, it's this quality of faithfulness. That we just faithfully live out the task that God has given us. Whether you're a banker, a lawyer, whether you clean teeth, whether you're a teacher, a nurse, wherever God has placed you, all he's asking us to do is just just be faithful there. Do the best. You've got a purpose. Work hard at it and just live it out. See, Joseph wasn't ever on a pursuit for power. He didn't make wealth and authority his goal. But now, none of that was what he was, um, none of what he was blessed with ultimately was his focus to begin with. He truly was about seeking God and his righteousness first. Can we make our lives about that? About God and his righteousness? Secondly, beware of the evils of pride and envy. Beware of the evils of pride and envy. Gene Getz writes this about Joseph. He says, Joseph was a prime candidate for pride. He was a favorite son. He had a special place in his family from birth, even though he had ten brothers older than he. His father had given him a richly ornamented robe, signifying his special place. And at the tender age of 17, he had two dreams that verified his special place in the family and in God's divine plan. And then let's not forget that he was well-built and handsome. He was wise and intelligent. He had everything going for him. He had every reason to become proud and arrogant. But God used 13 years of pain and heartache to refine him and to prepare him for the task that he was now given. He was severely tested. He, but he didn't become bitter during those time, years of testing. He had a forgiving spirit. He had a servant's heart. And most importantly, he had a humble heart as he depended on God. But what happens to us sometimes when we watch others get promoted and rewarded? Sometimes we might have a difficult time with that. You see, it's one thing to enter into someone's pain. But it's another than to be able to handle their promotions. The Bible says to mourn with those who mourn and to rejoice with those who rejoice. You see, it's one thing to have empathy for others, but what if we have envy towards others? What if we find it difficult to rejoice without some feelings of jealousy? 
someone in our place of work is promoted. And maybe you thought you were the one that was deserving of it. But now they have authority, maybe authority and probably authority over you. They might even get, you know, a, 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 a company credit card and they could buy, you know, new clothes and a, they get a company car. Maybe they're given a new title. Maybe they used to work in the mailroom and they were somebody that reported to you, but now they're the chief operating officer, second only to the CEO. And what if we find it easier than to be critical of them rather than to rejoice with them? We wonder how he or she actually got to where they are. What did, what did they do? Who did they know? Who did they talk to? And it starts to smell like envy. We see this when we look to Joseph, don't we? Maybe we could really identify with him and his hardships. You know, with all that he was going through, he would have been the guy on our prayer lists. When he was falsely accused, wrongly imprisoned, and forgotten for the two years, we, we could relate, man, life is really hard. But now he's remembered and he's promoted to second in command. Can we rejoice with him? Can we cheer him on? You see, a really important question for us to ask is this. Are we able to rejoice in the successes of others? Are we able to rejoice in the successes of others? If someone has more than you, can we rejoice in the fact that they have more than you? If not, then we need to be aware of these sins of pride and envy. And lastly, I think faithfulness comes from simply being with Jesus. We don't just sort of decide to be faithful. It's something that we grow into through our relationship with Jesus as we grow in that relationship. You see, God was the source of Joseph's wisdom and discernment. It wasn't his own ability. When he was first asked to interpret Pharaoh's dream, he said, I cannot do it. And then he added, but God. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And my sense is that Joseph used the time in prison well. He didn't spend the time dreaming, you know, oh, well, when I get out of here, if I get out of here, I'm going to do this and that. But he was confident in God's ability. Wherever he was, he remained faithful, and that faithfulness grew as he remained connected to God. Ultimately, he was put in charge, not because he was a mover and shaker in the business, not because he somehow climbed his way up the corporate ladder, but because he was obviously in touch with God. Verse 38, Pharaoh says this about Joseph. He says this, Can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? So obviously filled with the Spirit of God. You see, Pharaoh looks at Joseph, physically probably showing the signs of being in prison for over two years. He thinks about his own dreams and how Joseph interpreted them, considers the plan that Joseph outlined, and he says, you know, this guy has God's hand on him. He's really in touch with God. There's no other explanation really for it. It reminds me of the scene in Acts chapter 4. The rulers and the elders and the, the teachers of the law, they, they had hauled in Peter and John. They demanded to know by what power or what name did they heal the man who was um, lame since birth. 
And Peter, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, he answers them and he slips in even a gospel message. He says, salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we might, must be saved. Salvation is found in no one else, he says to them. But what's interesting is that the rulers and the elders and teachers of the law, they looked at, at Peter and John and, and, and they said this. It says, they realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men. And, goes on and says, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's what they knew about them. That they had been with Jesus. And in that moment, Peter and John were faithful to the mission because they had spent time with Jesus. Yes, for three years in his physical presence, but I suspect that they learned by watching Jesus that Jesus would often slip away on his own to pray and to be with his Father. They learned the the, the importance and the practice of Sabbath-keeping. And these practices now had become part of their own spiritual formation. And now others could tell that Peter and John had been with Jesus. Isn't that still true today? You see someone who is faithful and wise and discerning and joyful, and you just think, you know, there's something about that girl. There's something about that guy. And it's not because they go to church. And it isn't because they're a religious person. It's because they had been with Jesus. You see, true wisdom comes from faithfully being with Jesus. And this wisdom is revealed in our actions. The mistake that we often make is that we substitute knowledge or intelligence for wisdom. And James uh, 3 verse 13 says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Who is wise and understanding among you? You see, if we ask that in Joseph's day, we would say, well, Joseph is wise and understanding. But what James says is he says, good, well then, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Doesn't that describe Joseph? He didn't go around telling everyone how wise he was. He was simply faithful in how he lived his life, faithfully walking with God and humbly serving wherever God placed him. He demonstrated a godly wisdom by the way that he lived his life. Wisdom is never shown by our talk, but rather by our walk. And when we faithfully walk with Jesus, making time to be alone with him in silence, it just becomes obvious to others. They take note that we had been with Jesus. And Pharaoh took note that Joseph was wise and discerning because of the way that he lived his life and because he was so obviously filled with the Spirit of God. Friends, I don't know about you, but for me, this is challenging on every level. Because I have to ask myself these three questions Do I put God first in everything? I like to think I do. I like to hope that that's my desire. But I think when I'm honest with myself, I don't always. And I get worried and distracted by all sorts of things. How much are pride and envy at work in my own life? Those are sobering questions, aren't they? But they're important questions. And lastly, is humility and wisdom 
a byproduct of the faithfulness in my own life. Just staying true to God. Staying the course. Deeply connected to Him. To act, to love mercy. To act justly. And to walk humbly with God. That's what God's called us to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life of Joseph. We thank you for the encouragement that he is. We thank you that sometimes that encouragement is even a challenge. It might have been easy to identify with him in the pit because we feel like sometimes our life is in the pits and everything's going wrong. If only I had this, then this would take care of itself. Father, help us to just be people who in the simplicity of our own faith look for ways that we can be on mission with you. By the way that we work at work, by the way that we serve our neighbors, by the way that we treat other people in the grocery store. Father, we know that because you have called us to act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. God, may we put you first in all things. May you reveal that pride and envy that is often lurking beneath the surface. May we be people who experience a, a deepening faith and a deepening faithfulness because of our walking with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.